0: Well, let's open our Bibles, everybody, to the book of James, chapter 3, and we're going to be picking it up today at verse 13 as we make our way verse by verse, and we'll be coming to the end of this chapter today. You guys been liking James so far? It's been good. It's been a challenging book, that's for sure, because it's been calling us to properly live out our faith in Jesus Christ. It's been calling us not just to... uh, to say we believe, but to live what we believe, to be doers of the word, to act upon the things that are revealed to us here in the scriptures. And so many times this week, uh, I was thinking about how I needed the Holy Spirit to help control this tongue of mine, as we learned last week. And I was in the kitchen this week talking with my wife, and she said, you know, Daniel, you have about 50,000 words that you can say this week. Choose them wisely. (laughs) And uh that was just continually on my mind as the word just refines you and says, oh, yeah, this, this little member in my mouth, I got to use it correctly. And so we've been learning so much about wisdom. This is what James has been teaching us about. You you could say that James is the New Testament version of the Old Testament book of Proverbs because if we're willing to hear and obey these words, wisdom is just going to pour off of these pages And into our hearts, and then when it's in our hearts, it then comes out through the way that we live. And, um, you know, we're going to be talking today about wisdom, that there are different kinds of wisdom. You remember how in James there's different kinds of faith. There's dead faith, and there's living faith. Well, in the same way, there is living wisdom, and there is dead wisdom, there is true wisdom, there is false wisdom, there is heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, wisdom from above and wisdom from below. However you want to differentiate it, there is more than one kind of wisdom that a person can have, but if you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Jesus, then there's only one kind of wisdom that you should want, and it is the wisdom of of God that comes down from above. And so today we're going to be presented with a choice. How are you going to live? How are you going to think? How are you going to operate your life? And so I just pray that today we would all choose wisely. Now, if wisdom is what we're considering this morning, then what better place to look than to God's word? And so with that, let's read the text for today from the Apostle James in James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, these wonderful, Holy Spirit-inspired words. Let's read it. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the wisdom that, that it is to us, that it has come down from above to us, and we ask that it would come into our hearts and out through our lives. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to us this morning. Hearts to receive the implanted word of God. And then hands and feet that are ready to go out and live it in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So verse 13, James leads off with this question. He says, who is wise in understanding among you? And, and James has asked quite a few questions already throughout his letter. And why is that? Well, it's because questions cause, cause us to search out our minds to look for an answer. So if, so if I were to ask you, what is your name? The answer would be quick, it'd be immediate, you know, oh, my name's Daniel. But if I were to ask you a question like this, what is your biggest regret? Or, or what do you fear about the future? You might take a little bit more time, a little bit more thought and consideration toward that kind of question. And so James is asking this question, he says, who is wise in understanding among you? How quickly should we be able to answer that question? You know, if your tongue shoots off real quickly and says, I'm wise, I'm understanding, maybe you want to slow down for a moment and really think about what James is asking here. Have you properly evaluated your life to see if you can actually say, I am wise and understanding? James doesn't ask this question to imply that no one among us is wise and understanding, But he does challenge us this. He he challenges us to examine ourselves so that we wouldn't just rashly assume, oh, yeah, I'm wise. That we would actually think and evaluate according to God's word whether we are wise or not. Now, some commentators have suggested that James is connecting back to what he said earlier in this chapter. In James chapter 3, verse 1. About how not many people in the church should become teachers knowing that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And look, it's true that anyone who wants to aspire to teach the Bible must be a master of the tongue. And again, this isn't talking about eloquence of speech, but that you're speaking God's word. And they ought to be people who have wisdom that comes from God, not merely someone who is intellectual or smart, but somebody who actually knows the things of God that are revealed from his word. But but I don't think this question about wisdom only applies to teachers. And the reason I know this is because in James chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. So James wants everybody to answer this question. Who is wise and understanding among you, And I think he wants everybody to answer positively, to, to affirm that it's true. And look, every believer can be wise and can be understanding so long as we come to God for it. And so let's walk through these verses. Let's, let's allow God's word to examine us today. And if after studying these things here in James chapter 3, you come to realize that you lack wisdom guess what? You're not stuck there. You can come to God and you can ask him for understanding. Because if you believe that God gives wisdom and understanding to all, without discrimination, without partiality, he's not giving it to some and holding it back from others. He desires that he would just lavish us with his wisdom, but we have to come to him and we have to ask him for it. We have to ask him for it in faith, believing that God is good and that every good and perfect gift, including wisdom, comes down from above to us. Now, before we dive into this, I want us all to know something really important. You ready to hear something very important? True wisdom is a gift of God, not an achievement of man. Let me say that again. True wisdom is a gift of God, not an achievement of man. So may God give us that grace, that understanding, that as we hear his words today, each individual life here would would examine themselves and say, God, I, I want you to give me your wisdom. And I believe he wants to do that today. So let's read all of verse 13 again. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Do you remember how a few weeks ago when we were talking about faith, how if I were to put up a still picture of a person that you had never met before, would you be able to tell me whether or not they had faith? No. In the same way, looking at a still picture of a person that you've never met before, you could not tell whether they were wise Because in the same way that faith is an invisible substance that is found in the heart and the mind and the soul of a person, but then it can be lived out through our actions, by our good deeds we can show that we do have faith, in the same way wisdom can be lived out and it can be seen. It actually has to be shown through actions because wisdom is not merely knowledge, Wisdom is gained when knowledge gets lived out. Wisdom is the ability to correctly use knowledge for correct behavior. By your good conduct, you are able to show by your works the meekness of wisdom. Very simply, wisdom is shown by good conduct. So this is right in line with what James keeps telling us. You know, he's he, he saying, don't tell me, show me. Okay, so, so you say that you're wise, you, you're saying that you're understanding, then prove it by how you live. Are you really wise? Then let's look at the things that you do. What is your conduct? What is your character? Now, we don't need to hear how much you know. We need to see how much of it you're doing. You know, that's very challenging, isn't it? We live in a culture that just seeks after more and more knowledge. Even as Christians, we want more and more knowledge. Don't you really wanna know this book? I do. I love gaining knowledge of the scriptures and yet the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. When knowledge gets lived out, that is what produces wisdom. So wisdom is not shown by what someone knows. It is not intellectual. Wisdom is shown by how someone lives. It's behavioral. The smartest people in the world may have little to no wisdom, and it's evidenced by the way that they live proud and ungodly lives. And so show your character, show your conduct, and that will be an accurate measure of wisdom. Now, James speaks to the quality of wisdom here in verse 13, saying that by good conduct, uh, the wise person will possess a meekness of wisdom. Now, what is meekness? Some translations use the word humble wisdom or gentle wisdom, but I like that word meek because Uh, I I like to define it in two ways. The first way is that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It is when a person has a clear understanding of how much power they possess, and yet they wield that strength with control. That's meekness. The other way that I like to define meekness is to cut the word in half. Me, eh. (laughs) Right? My son Knox does that. He says ech at the things that are distasteful to him. You know, plain yogurt hits his mouth. Ech. He watches a show that his brother and sister are watching and he doesn't like it. He wants encanto. He says, ugh. You know, that's, that's he knows mama and ugh. You know? And so when I look at the parts of me, the parts of myself that are not pleasing, I want to turn from them. You know, me in my flesh. That's ugh. (laughs) We wanna wanna say that to the things that are in our lives that are that are not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that are still in our lives that are distasteful and, and unpleasing to God. Now, humility comes with this realization that God is still removing the distasteful things from your life. When you can say, I'm not finished, Lord. Keep working on me. It comes when I accept that less of me means more of God. So here we go. We're, we're going to start moving. If if you forgot to put on your seatbelt this morning, now's the time to put it on. We're going to be looking here in verses fourteen through sixteen. James is going to show us what false wisdom looks like. Get ready for this. It's convicting. And look at verses 17 through 18. We'll look at those later. James is going to show us what true wisdom looks like. So first, what does false wisdom or, or dead wisdom, earthly wisdom, however you want to call it, what does that look like? Well, verse 14 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James says, if you, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, you lack wisdom. Now, what are these things that can be found within our hearts? Bitter jealousy, that, that word is the combination of two Greek words that have the idea of something being prickly, It's the word bitter, and something being hot, the word jealous. See, the bitter person is sharp, piercing. You know, if you taste something bitter, what do you do? You go, ugh, <laughs> right? Jealousy or, or envy, as one translation puts it, it, is when you burn for what others have. You see, when you see what another person has, whether it be a superior quality or an achievement or a possession, and you want what the other person has, but if you can't have it, you know what's good enough? You just wish that the other person lacked it. That's jealousy, envy. And bitterness and jealousy go hand in hand. The bitter person is a jealous person, and the jealous person is a bitter person. You become prickly, you become hot, and then no one wants to be around people because you burn people and you hurt people. It's been said that hurt people hurt people. And Christians can grow bitter and jealous often because they have been hurt and burned themselves. And the root of this sin of bitter jealousy comes from not being willing to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And the other source is that you lack thankfulness. And then there's selfish ambition. And this idea of selfish ambition was a common Greek word. It was the word erotheia that originally referred to a day laborer, somebody who worked for a wage. But the word was later used among Greek politicians. And it... It's this idea that to have a selfish ambition is, is when someone canvasses people to get their approval for their own views for their own advantage. It is to have this. It's to have a party spirit. It's the idea of creating strife and contentions among groups to win people to your side so that people like you and despise others. Despising people often is that you you... You despise people you don't even know because you're so good at painting people for your own self-promotion. So this work of self-promotion is done when you tear people down in order to lift yourself up. And sadly, Christians do this. We curse people who are made in the same likeness and image of God. People who have selfish ambition often create strife in the church. They promote factions and rivalries among God's people. And look, sometimes this ambition will be looked upon as if it were for a noble cause. Because there, there's something as having good ambition. The Bible speaks about having ambition. We don't just wanna sit around. We wanna go. We wanna achieve stuff. But when it's selfish ambition, that, that's not good. And Paul even says in Philippians that where some... Who were preaching the gospel from selfish ambition and trying to tear Paul down. So, underneath it all, there's this self seeking, self promotion, and pride. It's this, this attitude can often be identified when there is a lack of gentleness, humility, and meekness. And where is it found? James says it's found in the heart, it begins with your own heart. Proverbs 4:23 Keep your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. What's in your heart? And don't forget Luke 6:45 that out of the overflow of the heart his mouth speaks. Now, if listening to this, we recognize that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is within our hearts. Hopefully we can say with God that's not wisdom and we'll turn from it. So we wanna be asking the Spirit of God right now to be searching our hearts and and to shine the light of his word. James says that if you're bitter and self-seeking, do not boast as if you're wise. In fact, if you speak with pride about how wise you are but everyone around you knows that you're bitter and selfish, don't you see that you're being false to the truth? So we, we, we don't wanna live this lie where we think we're wise, but everyone around us knows that we are like fire and cactus. You burn people. You hurt people. James is saying, with, with words you say that you're wise, but we've heard what your mouth has been pulling up from your heart and how it's destructive toward people. You say that you're wise, but, but we've seen the way that you hurt others and burn others and tear people down only to prop yourself up. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so among God's people. Stop lying and, and telling others that you're wise if you have envy and self-seeking in your heart. It's better to do this. It's better to have other people say that you're wise than to say that you're wise yourself. And the best way to be considered wise is, is when other people can see it. But that can only happen if you're looking out for other people with sacrificial love instead of always looking out for your own self-interest. So, so we, we wanna humble ourselves. We wanna admit our faults. We wanna maintain unity of the spirit. We wanna tear down any divisions that want to set themselves up against Christ. And finally, if you're never doing any good for other people, then how can other people ever say that you're wise? And so, church, we've got to check our hearts. If, and here's the thing. <clears throat> if you've just listened to everything I just said, and you were thinking the whole time about how this applies to someone else and not you, <laughs> are you really wise? <laughs> See how how wise and understanding can you be if you think that you never do anything wrong? That it's always someone else's fault. Really? Can we call that meekness of wisdom? See to me the wisest people I know are the people that confess and repent often. It's the people who admit their selfishness and their bitterness and their jealousy. And say, ugh. See, meekness is when you see yourself in your own sin and you say, ugh. False wisdom is when you see other people in their sin and you say, ugh. It's funny how our own sin looks uglier when we see it on other people. See, wisdom is known by mercy. Because if you know the mercy that you've been shown, you're gonna show it to others. And James said, mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't forget, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Church, let's examine ourselves. We ought to be a people where there is no selfish ambition, there is no jealousy and, jealousy and bitterness, not even a, a hint of it among us. So verse 15, it says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual demonic. This kind of wisdom that is tainted by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition where, where you're always right and, and everyone else is, is wrong, this is not a life of wisdom and understanding. If you're prickly, if you're hot, if you're unmerciful, that does not come down from above. So remember, If anyone lacks wisdom, James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Bitter jealousy is not good, and it does not come down from above. Selfish ambition is not good, and it does not come down from above. These attitudes are not from heaven. They are certainly not from God. God's not that way. So where does this kind of wisdom come from? James says it's earthly. It comes from the world. It's unspiritual. It comes from the flesh. And it's demonic. It comes from the devil. All over Scripture, you will see that trinity of evil the world, the flesh, and the devil. And verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What happens if we live in this kind of wisdom, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of our flesh, the wisdom of the devil, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, something else will exist with it. Disorder in every vile practice. Disorder speaks of uncontrolled chaos when confusion and no peace, no direction is among God's people. It should not be a surprise though, church, When the world is in chaos, the world operates on earthly wisdom. It should not surprise the church when we see people lusting in the flesh and having disruption and divorce and disaster in their relationships. The flesh operates on unspiritual, sensual wisdom. It shouldn't surprise the church when we see people bound in darkness by Satan and are experiencing lies and confusion and fear and death, the devil operates on demonic wisdom. Yes, the world, the flesh, and the, de- the devil is full of chaos and disorder, and nothing's going to fix it by the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the flesh or the wisdom of the devil and we're to be a beacon of light the church where wisdom is found here because we uphold god's word and we are a place where every good and perfect gift is coming down from above to us we are to be the place where people come seeking wisdom church we don't go to the world to look for wisdom we don't look to our flesh to go for wisdom certainly I hope no one's going to the devil for wisdom, because every vile practice, every evil thing is there. This has the idea is that nothing good can come from these places. There's no true wisdom found in any of these areas. Now, verse 17 and 18, we're now going to take it back up. We're going to look at what true wisdom looks like. That's what you want to put off. Now we're going to talk about what we want to put on. Verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So we know that we don't want the wisdom of the world or the flesh or the devil. We want God's wisdom. So, so Lord, teach us wisdom. What does it look like? And James gives us seven qualities here of wisdom that is from above, wisdom that is coming down from God. First, it's pure, nothing evil, holy good, unmixed with anything of the world, untainted by anything of the flesh, uncorrupted by anything from the devil. Wisdom from above is pure because it comes from a pure source. It comes from God. God. Again, you have to ask for this wisdom. You can't manufacture it. It has to be from a pure source, and it has to be received as a gift. Then it is peaceable. This comes from the Jewish idea of shalom. There's this settled, controlled, enjoyable state. There's harmony that exists in relationships says, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. We would not compromise purity for peace. That's why purity comes first. But, but peace comes when we are freed from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, when we are looking first to others before ourselves. And then gentle. Wisdom is gentle. This would be someone who is not harsh, You're not prickly nor hot-tempered. You're lowly, kind, tender, soft to be around, safe to be around. No one is concerned that in your presence you might get triggered and blow up on them. This is shown by our words and by our works. A gentle word turns away wrath. A gentle deed draws people near. And then you're open to reason. This is someone who is reasonable. You can be persuaded. You're not a stubborn stick in the mud. You can take someone else's view on something because you you recognize that it might actually be better than what you've got. You know, you, you listen to people and you might actually do the things that people suggest even if it goes against what you prefer. You're you're malleable. You're not so rigid. You're not so stubborn. You're open to reason. Then you're full of mercy and good fruits. The word full means to be stuffed. Think Thanksgiving. So full, just stuffed. It's coming out of you. You're overflowing with these things. You have so much mercy... Because the mercy you've received is the mercy that you're giving, and you know that mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus said, the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So if you're merciful, you're just going to get a lot of it yourself too. You're going to get it, you're going to give it. You're going to get it, you're going to give it. mercy just is abounding and overflowing out of you. You're not a dead end of mercy. And not only that, but you're also full of good fruits. There's the work of the Spirit producing all of the fruits of the Spirit. And with all the good deeds that you do, which are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, and and you're just, you're full of life. You're flourishing. There's just life coming off of you. And then you're impartial. You know, you don't take sides. You hear people out on things. You don't show partiality based on anything, There's no prejudice, there's no discrimination. You don't get sucked into factions. You're not impressed by cliques. You're not moved when people push their parties and their platforms because you have a higher view that unites all people, the cross of Jesus Christ. That ground at the cross, it's level. And you know it because you're standing there with everyone else, impartial. And then the last one is sincere. You're genuine. There's no hypocrisy in this wisdom that is from above. You're, you're the same in one place as you are in another. It comes from the idea of hypocrisy, that the hypocrite would, would wear multiple masks to play different roles on a stage. It comes from the idea of being without wax, that if a piece of pottery was sincere, if it was sincere, it would be marked as whole. Whole. And if it did have wax, it would be that, you know, there'd be this broken piece of pottery that would um, be put back together with wax that was mixed with dust, and it'd be glued back together, and then somebody would see it, it looks like a whole piece, but, but you take it and you, you put it in the heat, and the thing melts and falls apart. You know, so a sincere person is someone without wax. It means that when you get put through the test of fire, you don't fall apart. You're genuine. Your faith is real. Even when it's tested through the fire, you're not faking it. And then in verse 18, it says, "In a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers. Peacemakers sow seeds of peace to reap a harvest of Righteousness. So this is what has been happening this morning. God's word has been sown. Jesus has given us this word because he is the king of righteousness and peace. He's according to the order of Melchizedek. That takes wisdom to know. Where does righteousness come from? Where does peace come from? See, The Lord is making peacemakers, where you're just taking the seeds of righteousness and you're sowing them. You're sowing peace, you're sowing peace, you're sowing peace, you're sowing peace. And then eventually as that peace gets planted into one heart after another, there is this just harvest of righteousness. Souls are being saved because of the peace and the peace and the word and the peace that is being sown from your life. Those who make peace will be those who sow peace. And the Lord is seeking a harvest. He is seeking a harvest of righteousness. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. James is also very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us the Beatitudes. In one of the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So I have to ask you the question that we started with. Who is wise and understanding among us? Who is without bitter jealousy among us? Who is without selfish ambition among us? Who is pure among us? Who is peaceable among us? Who is gentle among us? Who is open to reason among us? Who is full of mercy and good fruits among us? Who is impartial among us? Who is sincere among us? Think about it. Is it you? Is it me? I only know one person among us. Who is all of those things? Jesus. It is why he has become to us a savior. It is why he has become to us an example. This is why we've been called to imitate God, to mimic him. As children of God, that we would have a family resemblance. We would look like our brother Jesus. You remember James is the half-brother of Jesus, right? He got to watch him. He sat at the table with him and just said, oh, I always saw how gentle my brother was. I, I, I always saw how my brother was open to reason. How merciful he was. Now, do you remember that important thing I said at the start? It was really important, and we're gonna end with it. True wisdom is a gift from God. God not an achievement of man. Look, you, you, can only, you can only look within for so long and find that you're still lacking. Thank you for listening to God's word today and doing the hard work of self-examination. I've been doing the hard work of self-examination this week as I've prepared this message. I pray that as you heard it, you did that hard work of looking within and saying, oh, ugh. But you can only look within for so long And then you gotta look back out. You gotta get your eyes on Jesus. You gotta tell him that you need him. You gotta tell him that you're desperate for him. You gotta tell him that you're lost without him. You gotta tell him that you need him, you need him, you need him. You gotta look to him and tell him that you wanna learn from him. You come to Jesus because he's pure and he's peaceable and he's gentle and he's open to reason. He's full of mercy and good fruits. He's impartial and he's sincere. And when you come to him and you receive from him and you learn from him, in time you will look like him in these things too. And then you can say, I am wise. I am understanding. Not because you say you are, but because God says you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how your word has searched us. And Lord, I pray that we all would examine ourselves. But Lord, we need you. We need your word, we need your spirit, Lord, and we need Jesus. And so God, I pray that the first and wisest decision that anyone would make here today is to fear God, It is to look to Jesus. And I pray right now that, that if there's anyone here who would make the wisest choice, which would be to ask God for salvation if they have not received it, that right now they would make that very wise decision and say, Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner and you are a savior. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price. We thank you, Jesus, that you were raised from the dead to give us new and everlasting life. We thank you that you didn't stay dead, but you uh, rose and you ascended to heaven. And now from heaven, you are there and you are sending down wisdom from above upon your people. So, God, for those who are not your people yet, I pray you make them your people. And for those who are your people, those who are saved, I pray right now that we would all ask you, Lord, for wisdom. Lord, pour it down on us. We ask in faith, God, we ask that you would answer our call and our cry that says, Oh, God, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need it for our marriages, we need it for raising kids. We need it for our businesses. God, we need wisdom for for how to see ourselves rightly. We need wisdom to be the church, to be God's people that are so full of love, that are a, a beacon of light that people look to. God, we need your wisdom. God, would you pour it out on your church today? These people gathered here, would you pour it down on us and would we have faith to receive it? And I believe, Lord, that if we ask in faith, every single one of us can walk out of, us, out of here and, and by our good works and by our good deeds, we can say, oh, Lord, you've made us wise. You've made us understanding. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.